I want to speak with you for a while this morning about the results of the resurrection. We're not dwelling on the past. We have a living Christ. And so we want to find out what happens because of that. I used to tell my professors at the college when I was president there that you haven't really begun your day properly unless you've had a valid time of devotion, your morning devotions where you really met the Lord each day, and unless you have read the New York Times. I'm glad to report to you this morning that I've done both, so I'm in good shape. Time says today that approximately two-thirds of Americans, according to Dr. Gallup, believe that Jesus arose bodily from the dead. <coughs> Interestingly enough, the people who are in the group of dissenters feature a number of prominent clergy. So, as always, the clergy are leading the way in unbelief. It's a pity, but that's how it was in the day of our Lord. Who was it that did not believe him? The priests and the scribes and the Levites and the Pharisees. Be that as it may, you and I are not here this morning to argue whether or not Jesus is alive. We echo in our hearts the words, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives where? Within my heart. Our Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Stuart Hamlin was riding on a plane years ago, shortly after his conversion. He happened to be seated beside a man who did not believe that there was a God. The man turned to him somewhat scornfully and said, Do you actually believe there's a God? And Stuart, in his forthright fashion, said, Why, certainly, man, I talked to him this morning. Well, you and I know but my interest in speaking with you in these moments, beloved, is that there should be some tangible result in our lives as a result of that belief. In a moment, I want to lead us in prayer and then turn to a passage of Scripture, the first chapter of 1 Peter. Will you pray with me? Abba, Father, our hearts have been warmed and blessed by the lovely music, a ministry in itself, preaching eloquently to our spirits as well as to our abilities to enjoy good music. We thank thee for it. We thank thee for a church where people can sing. We thank thee for a free America where we can preach the word of God. We thank thee most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Today, as we open thy word, wilt thou speak to us in terms that bring this truth into where we live. Place, O God Almighty, place this gospel in shoe leather today, that as we walk from this service, we shall know, and the people who meet us will know, that we've been with Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen and amen. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, and I'm reading through verse 9. 
Always glad to see you open your Bibles. Some of you take notes, and that is always good. Because what you hear is soon gone, but what you hear and write down, you retain oftentimes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein that is in that salvation, ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than a gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Born again unto a living hope. I have to say to you at the outset that until you have committed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you won't begin, will you, to understand the truth of the resurrection. Born again unto a living hope. Being born again, Peter says in another passage, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Paul says the natural, that means the unsaved person, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, that means understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. So here's the good news and the bad news. It's good news if you know Jesus, and if you don't know him this minute, you're not really understanding what is being said nor will you until you open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that this service is structured with the sole purpose not only of blessing and helping and encouraging you who know the Lord, but of bringing others who are in this congregation to place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that today before you're one hour older. You'll then know what he means when he says, born again unto a living hope. We have hope because Jesus is alive. We read in the affirmation of faith that he is the first fruits of them that slept. What are first fruits? Any of you gardeners know? You go out in the spring and you, you plant the radishes and the lettuce and the onions and the cauliflower and the cabbage and the whatnot. And generally speaking, if it's anything like my experience, well, when I was seven, I planted a garden one day and went out the next day and dug it up to see it was coming. Now you have to wait. And so you wait, and finally you go out one day and you see something that you think is, is harvestable, and you pull up the first radish. And, and I'm not very big. You know, Bob Hope said of his, of his potatoes, some were as large as golf balls and some were as large as peas, and then there were quite a few small ones. <laughs> it may not be very large, but it is a radish, and it is the first one, and you bring it inside, you wash it off, and you pop it in your mouth, and you enjoy it hugely because it's the first one and there are more coming. Matter of fact, if you plant zucchini, there's a lot more coming, <laughs> and you'll be going around with a bushel basket to your neighbors asking them if they'd like some free zucchini. First fruits. What is it all about? Jesus is alive, and because he is, I will be too. He said, because I live, ye shall live also. 
And our Lord Jesus never made a mistake. Have you ever thought about that? He never had to say, I beg your pardon, or excuse me. Never made a mistake. They came to criticize him, then they went away mumbling to themselves, never man spake like this man. They came to arrest him, they went away saying, he hath done all things well. Never made a mistake. And he said, because I live, ye shall live also. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody who's lived a while has had some experience with the death of loved ones or friends. And that is such a final business, isn't it? I stood beside the, the, the bedside of my mother-in-love, Hilda Nilsson, one June day. And she'd been laboring with her breathing. And then I knew she was going. And I called Corrine, my wife, and her sister, Evelyn. We stood there together and finally somebody said, I don't know which one of us said, she's gone. And it was so, so final and so full of human tragedy. Yes, we're believers. We prayed and repeated the 23rd Psalm and, and thanked the Lord that he was our God and our Savior. But human death is the ultimate tragedy. We were born to live, not to die. And the wages of sin is death. And as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all of sin, Paul says, oh, so final, so dark. And it hurts so, and it's such a, such an, such a insult is the word I'm searching for to human nature, because we were made in the image of God, and sin marred that image. But Jesus fixed all that, didn't He? Hallelujah! Oh yes, He did. Oh, there's hope. Not just a wishful thinking, not self-deception. This is no religious mumbo jumbo. This is not self-hypnosis. This is God-given hope. I'm going to be alive somewhere with Jesus a million years from today. Praise the Lord because he lives. Not only that, he says you've got an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, and the fadeth not away. I told the early crowd about what happened when I went to collect my inheritance. I had turned 21 and I wanted to collect the money that my grandmother, Gray, had left me. It had grown and drawn interest and was now supposed to be something over $1,000. I found the bank had failed during the Depression and there was nothing there. I tell you, that was a shock for a 21-year-old that was expecting to be rich. <laughs> Fadeth not away, it had gone. They say, money talks. All it ever said to me was, goodbye, I'll never see you again. <laughs> now, choir, I'm sorry that I tell these things twice, but you remember I had to listen to you to sing twice. Fadeth not away. It's going to be there. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's got my name on it. You can look me up in the glory. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can fool with it. It's locked up. It's in your name. Jesus bought it for you with precious blood. Praise his name. Well, what else? He says, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you who are kept. 
by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now here's an interesting connection. You're kept, said he, by the power of God through faith unto salvation. You see, God doesn't put very much trust in our efforts. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Not of what? Yeah, so you don't work for it. There's nothing you can do to make you any more acceptable to God. So forget it if that's what you're trying to accomplish. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God doesn't put any credence in our efforts. He doesn't think we're going to make it because we won't. All our good works, says Isaiah, are just like soiled, dirty rags. I used to be a garage man, and when I read that verse in Isaiah, I get the picture of the, the old rags we used to use to wipe our hands after we'd been working up in the innards of some car. And when the rag was dirty enough, you'd throw it in the stove. That's how God looks at my best. It's a little disappointing, isn't it? And disillusioning and humbling. But that's exactly where it's at. He says, you're kept by the power of God through faith. And here is the secret of resurrection power. When you stop depending on yourself and you start depending on God to meet the present need or the present temptation or the present pressure or the present heartache or whatever it may be, you're kept by his power when you believe him. You turn things over to him. There is no question in my mind but that this is normal Christianity. That when temptation hits you, or pressure, or reversal, or disappointment, or circumstances that would turn you bitter, or whatever it may be that is part of the process of living, you can, and if you want to succeed, you must. In faith, just as you trust Christ as Savior, so with that same kind of faith, you turn over to him the control of the situation. Now Paul says it, quite clearly in Romans 6, as ye have yielded the members of your body servants to unrighteousness, and the result was more iniquity. Even so, he says, even so, same way, as you've yielded to unrighteousness, even so, he said, yield the members of your body servants to righteousness. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus. He's called our righteousness. Yield the members of your body servants to Jesus, and the result will be holiness of life. Look it up for yourself in Romans chapter 6. Same way you failed is the way you succeed. How do you fail? You, when you're tempted, you think of, shall I, shall I, shall I not? And you mull it over and by and by you cave in because you get tired trying, right? The same thing, you think over it, but instead of giving up to yourself, you give up to the Lord Jesus. Surrender is built into your bones, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to give up to something ultimately. Why not give up to this living Christ? You're kept by the power of God through faith. Take what you're facing today. You didn't park your worries at the door when you came in. They're still with you. I know that. Take what you're facing today and deliberately turn it over to the Lord Jesus to handle. You don't know what the future may hold for you. Some of you are wavering about the future. So the past may be what's bothering others. Either it's guilt or it's hurt or both. Your job situation may be very unpleasant. Maybe you're the only Christian in the office and they all pick on you. I don't know. Maybe your domestic situation is painful. Whatever it is, you take the situation that you're facing, brothers and sisters, and you turn it by faith over to Jesus, just like you trust him to save you, so you trust him to keep you. You who are kept by the power of God 
through faith. Colossians 2.6 says it. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How do you receive him? By faith. How do you live every day? Just by the same faith, trusting him. Beautiful truth of the living Lord. So what else? There's a new view of trial. How often as a pastor, I was a pastor 18 years, so I've made all the mistakes. I'll never make any new mistakes as a pastor. If you called me as pastor, I'd be perfect because I've made all the mistakes. But you're not going to because I'm too old. As a pastor, how often I would hear people say, I don't know why this has to happen to me. You know, the, the usual run of troubles. The roof leaks, the cat got out, and we're afraid she got into wrong company. Uh, they, uh, uh, Junior has the, has the chicken pox, and uh, hubby comes home uh, with a handful of flowers, and uh, the wife bursts into tears. She says, everything's gone wrong, and now you come home drunk. Uh, you know, uh, everything, everything is all mixed up. <laughs> Trials. And then the preacher calls, and you get this familiar refrain, I don't know why this has to happen to me. Well, the rest of the sentence is when I'm such a nice person, you know. You figure, you figure somebody else might deserve all that, but you don't. That's where it comes from. You get a new view, don't you, of trial. He says, you're kept by the power of God, and in this salvation, you greatly rejoice. Even though now you're, you got the blues, you're in heaviness. That's, that's another term for you got the blues. You feel bad because of all of your testings. Now you see, it isn't that God is testing you because he doesn't like you. It's because he wants to strengthen your faith. Notice how he ties it together. In order that, the word that is a little Greek connective word, hina, which means in order that. In order that the trial of your faith, it's more precious than gold that's refined by fire, might be found unto his praise and his honor and his glory. Now, what is God doing? What is God doing when you have testings? What is he doing when you have trials? All of us have troubles. I am not one that preaches that if you trust Christ, everything's coming up roses and you'll get rich in the bargain. You know, I don't find that in the Bible. I find that, that the Bible says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you. That's what he said. I find that troubles come to us all. You remember the little boy who wanted to cross the street against the light? Remember that one? He was pulling away and his mother said, come on, hang on. Don't you want to grow up and have troubles? <laughs> well, they come to us all, don't they? So what? You're going to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Most of us do. If you know this risen Christ, ladies and gentlemen, if you know Jesus, you have a different view of trouble and trial. What? Because he is at work and he is doing something to my faith. And faith is the connection between me and God's almightiness. And what he is doing is strengthening the connection between Cook and the divine switchboard. You follow that? They tell me that Friday night... When the professor sat down at the organ, nothing happened. Were any of you here Friday night? Yes. The silence was deafening. But they also tell me that this wonderful choir sang a cappella, and even the angels stopped rustling their wings to listen. They tell me it was great, choir. I wish I could have been here. 
What happened? I said, what happened to the organ? Oh, they told me somebody was working in the back and was driving a nail and happened to drive a nail right through the power cord. You see, when the connection is broken, there isn't any power. And what God is doing, beloved, in the trials that sometimes we don't like, he says, you got the blues now, you feel bad. But he says, you can rejoice because God is strengthening the connection between you and him. Easter tells me that I can go through my trials and I can go through my testings and I can face temptation and I can face the fact that I'm just an ordinary human being full of the usual amount of faults. I can face it all because Jesus is alive and he has hold of me and he's strengthening me through what is happening while I trust him. That makes sense to you? Now put that to work in your own life, would you? Please put it to work in your own life. Don't just sit there and think about it. But relate his power to your situation and do it this morning. Well, he said, you've got a new love and you've got a new joy that comes as a result of it. And you've got a new fulfillment that fills your life full. Let me show you where that is in verse 8. He said, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing... You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That combination of believe and receive is interesting. Have you realized that that is exactly what the Lord Jesus said ought to happen? I'm turning the pages of my Bible over to the book of Mark. And I find the Lord Jesus saying, Whatsoever ye desire when ye pray, Boy, this is great. Let me read it for you. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have them. Believing and receiving are part of the way God works. And he doesn't do them in any other order. Have you heard people say, I'm from Missouri? Show me and I'll believe. Have you heard that? Yes, you have. God is not from Missouri, ladies and gentlemen. God says, you believe, and I'll show you. Here you have it again in 1 Peter. You don't see the Lord Jesus. You don't see him in his physical person. He's gone back to God the Father. He's sitting, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's our intercessor, our advocate, and our coming king. You don't see him with these physical eyes, but you believe. You open your heart. Believe means commitment. That means you're willing to risk the situation on him. Real faith is the willingness to risk the situation on God. And so he says you commit yourself. You're willing to risk your life on him and on his word. And he says you'll receive. Receiving the end of your faith. The result, the ultimate purpose of faith is the reality of God in your soul. Why should you believe God tomorrow, this, this, this morning? Why should you really commit yourself afresh to this risen Lord? Why? To strengthen your awareness of God as you go on through life so that you can face trial with a new perspective. You can face temptation with a new keeping power. You can face the whole menage of life messed up as it often is with the knowledge that God is working 
We go back to Philippians 2.13. It is God that worketh where? In you. To do what? To will and to do of His good pleasure. It's wonderful to realize that when God gets through, He's going to be pleased. He shall see of the travail of his soul, Isaiah said, and shall be satisfied. When God's through with you, beloved, he's going to look down and say, hey, that's a good job. He's going to be pleased when he's through working in your life as you commit it to him. Altogether different view of life because Jesus is alive. Now come back to square one, being born again unto a living hope. Are you a born again person today have you committed your life to Jesus as Lord or perhaps you're what so many call a nominal Christian that means a Christian in name but not in life and you certainly must feel the pull of the Spirit of God upon your heartstrings saying turn your life over to him let the Lord Jesus be Lord of your life you profess to be a Christian now let him be Lord indeed these are the things we want to settle today as we come to the close of this service. Shall we bow in prayer?